But this morning we're going to open up the Bible to John chapter 3. And we're going to look at those verses in there this morning. Many years ago, uh, one of my first jobs was a caddy. I worked at a country club. I, didn't, I wasn't a member of the country club. I worked at it. And, uh, but then I moved up from just being a caddy to where I actually worked in the back room uh, of what they called the pro shop. And so I would get the members' bags out. I would clean their clubs. I would put the balls out for them at the driving range and all these things. And, well, this job, though, really exposed me. Uh, it took me outside the bubble of my little Christian family uh, in the Christian bubble that I, that I often resided in. And so I got to meet some very interesting characters. I remember one of my coworkers that I was working with, we got to talking, and somehow we got to talking about this, this other person. And he had some not-so-nice things to, to say about this other person. And one of the things along the, the, the part of this conversation, he eventually came to said, you know, you know, Matt, he was one of those born-again Christians. He was one of those born-again Christians. And there I was, I can still remember today, I'm sitting here cleaning the golf clubs. And that's processing through my mind. And I go, I'm one of those born-again Christians. I don't remember all that happened after that, but I remember we had time to talk. And if I would have had it to do undone over again, I would have made sure there was one thing that I, I would say to him. There is no other kind of Christian but a born-again Christian. That's the only Christian. I don't know if you're familiar with the term born again, but we're going to get a little familiar with it this morning. There were some surveys done a few years ago by different uh, research groups. And uh, one of the findings came to find out that basically that born again Christians were really no different than the secular world. So as I looked a little bit at that, as I heard a little bit about these findings... I can understand that how, yeah, there, there are some born-again Christians that, uh, that make mistakes and that sin just like everyone else. But as I, I, I began to think more about what they included in this research and what they labeled born-again, I began to come with the, 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 the finding and the thinking to myself that my finding is that not everyone is born-again. But not everyone who claims to be a Christian is really a Christian. That just because they grew up in the church or they said a prayer or they uh, attended confirmation or they did different Christian things, that doesn't make them born again. I can't tell you how many people that I've sat down with and I've talked with and I've asked the diagnostic question of, if you were to die today, and these were people who had told me as going into this conversation that they were Christians. But when I asked them the question, if you were to die today and God were to say, why should I let you into heaven? I got responses like, well, I'm coming to church. I do good things. I love God. You're not born again. Those things don't make someone born again. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. 
And it's not something that you do. It's something that is done in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And something that we know that we have when we put our faith and our trust in Christ, in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins. There are many people out there who are doing a lot of good things, that are attending church, that are religious, that pray before their meals. They're good people, religious people, but they're not born again. Nicodemus was one of those men. It says there in verse 1 of chapter 3, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a, a ruler of the Jews. I mean, Nicodemus was the man. I mean, he was a Pharisee. I mean, he, he, he was a, a ruler of the Jews. He had reached kind of the, the zenith of, of, of uh, leadership, religious leadership in, in the Israel society. He was a member of the, the Sanhedrin, which was the highest legal, legislative, and judicial body amongst the Jews. He was what some might describe as he was kind of the cream of the crop of Judaism. I mean, this brother had it all going on. But this man came by night, or came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so Nicodemus comes, and he, he recognizes that, that Jesus is different. He recognizes the signs and the things that Jesus had been doing that they authenticate that Jesus just isn't any teacher. Matter of fact, Nicodemus comes and he actually gives him the title of rabbi, something that's particularly not usually given until someone turns 40, and Jesus is not 40 yet. But he shows great respect and great honor for Jesus. He holds him up. He recognizes that he's special, that he's unique. And so Nicodemus is perhaps coming and he, he wants to talk about Jesus' message, perhaps. He wants to talk about these signs. It talks about the signs there in chapter 2 that Jesus had been doing. Perhaps he even wanted to talk about just philosophically where did this fit in with the, the rest of Judaism. But he's not ready for the bombshell that Jesus is about to land right into the lap of Nicodemus. Look at verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, or what, you, what that means is when you see something repeated like that, it should get your attention. It's like, hey, listen up, what I'm about to say to you. Because here's the truth for you, Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He goes right by all this honor, all this respect that Nicodemus is, was wanting, and maybe even the kind of conversation about religion that Nicodemus wants to have, and he gets right to the heart of Nicodemus, and he says, let me make something clear and true to you. Unless you're born again, Nicodemus, you're not entering the kingdom of God. In essence, you're going to hell, is what he's saying. Look at Nicodemus says. 
Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again, can he? Now, I do not think that he is actually thinking that you can be born again, that you can go back into the mother's womb. I think it's more with a tone that you can't mean. He's kind of saying it, you know, kind of in a way that you can't mean that in order to enter the kingdom of God, you have to repeat the birthing process, can you? Come on, Jesus. What are you talking about here? See, this phrase born again, I don't think it's really what baffles Nicodemus. Reality is that if you go back and you look at Judaism, this this term, it, it may be new to you. Maybe there's some here this morning that are not acquainted with the term born again. But in Judaism, the term born again was used. It was coined to refer to a lot of things. It was used regularly in Jewish society to uh, it would refer to such things as when a, a child was circumcised. He was spoken of as being born again into the house of Israel. When a, a Gentile was baptized into Judaism, he was referred to as being born again. When, when a man was married to his wife, he was, he was referred to as being born again. As a matter of fact, one of the highest born again experiences that a man could have was when man, when man was selected to be a rabbi, such as Nicodemus. That was considered to be a born again experience. I think what Nicodemus is confused about, what is going through his mind, is that Jesus, I've had all these born again experiences. What more can I do? I'm at the top. I've had the highest of highest. I'm a I'm a rabbi. I'm a religious leader. It was furthest from his mind that he was truly not in the genuine faith of God. It was furthest from his mind that he truly needed to experience a new birth. A spiritual birth. A birth from above. Literally, born again means can, it carries two, two essences, two meanings. Born again, but also born above. It was furthest from Nicodemus' mind that he needed that. And the reality is, and why I bring you this message today, is that is exactly where many people are at today in their lives here and now. And even in our church and in other churches. The reality is that they see themselves having done a lot of good things, have been part of the church and part of Christianity since their birth. But the reality is that in their hearts, they've never really seen and realized that they have a need and that that need can only be met in Christ and Christ alone and nothing they bring. Nothing. I remember uh, several years ago I was doing a Bible study. And I think this kind of captures the attitude of Nicodemus. I was doing a Bible study and I just kind of gone around and I was asking people just to share with me when you came to faith in, in Jesus Christ and when you became a Christian. And I remember doing this and that one particular young lady 
she responded that, well, uh, when I started coming to church, and I kind of explored it. Well, I mean, when you came to church, does that mean that's when you put your faith and trust in Christ? And, and I started getting the wind that what she considered coming, becoming a Christian or being born again was that when I started coming to church, when I started showing up to church, that's what made me a Christian. I remember in my eager self, I started sharing the gospel. And when she started getting the hint that what I was saying to her was that she was a sinner, that she wasn't right with God, she got appalled at me. She got appalled with me that I would even hint that she was not right with God. And I think that's the attitude of Nicodemus here. That Jesus is confronting the reality of Nicodemus's heart, and he's like, are you kidding me? I'm a rabbi. I'm a Pharisee. I'm, the, I'm in the Sanhedrin. I've got it all together. I've had every born again experience you can have. And Jesus says, no, you haven't. You must be born again. You must be born from above. Jesus seeks to clarify this for him. Jesus answered truly. And again, it's like almost shouting, listen up. When he says truly, truly, it's like, hey, this is the truth. This is the truth. Listen to me. I say to you, and now we can easily run right over that, but the reality is, is Jesus is honing in on Nicodemus. He's looking him in his eyes, and he's emphatically saying, I'm saying to you, Nicodemus, Mr. Religious Pants. I'm saying to you that you must be born of water and the Spirit. Because unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That is, you will die without knowing God. And then he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit. He's saying right now, he says, Nicodemus, this is not something that can be accomplished with human efforts. Your religiosity, your reformations to your life, they don't save you. You don't need reformation. You need new life. It's something only the Spirit can do. And then he says, do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. You can, you can almost see Nicodemus's face. I mean, here, remember, here's a guy who's coming like, I'm not, this is a... This is a rabbi, you know, this Jesus guy, I like him. Let's talk some religion. Let's sit down and talk. And then Jesus turns it on him, and he tells him the truth, which is the best thing he could ever hear. And he's amazed. He's in shock. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But do not know, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. In essence, what he's saying is this is not something you can manufacture, Nicodemus. The spirit works where the spirit works. And by the way, as believers, this ought to be very freeing to you and your sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not responsible for making someone saved. We can't do it. All we do all we simply do are tools in the hands of the Holy Spirit that go and share the gospel message. 
It's God who does the work of new birth in someone's heart. Not you, not I. So ease up on yourself. Just share it. Just share the gospel. Let the Spirit do what only the Spirit can do. So he says, it's not something you can manufacture. It's not something you can do by self-effort. It's like the wind. You don't see it, but you do hear it. That is, there'll be signs that there's change that has happened. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, again, is he's flabbergasted. Because he was hanging on to his ancestry. He was hanging on to his position. He was hanging on to all the works that he had accomplished over his life. He was hanging on all these things that that's which made him acceptable to God. And what Nicodemus needed was real spiritual life. See, Nicodemus was a man who was trying to clean up something that was dirty with something else that was dirty. Or we might put it this way. There's a story of a missionary who visited a primitive hut. And this missionary became nauseated by the, the filthy floor on which he had to sit. So he suggested to the, the host that they scrub the dirty surface with soap and water. But the man replied, the floor is just clay, packed down and dry. Add water and it turns to mud. The more you try to wash it, the worse the mess becomes. And that's just what human self-effort is. When we try to clean up our own lives and our own ability, all we're doing is making mud. We're just stirring around. We're making more of a mess. We, we, we can't save ourselves. We can't cleanse ourselves up. It takes a holy God who sends His Holy Spirit to bring about new birth within our hearts that cleans us up. You must be born again. See, the message of salvation, and first through fourth graders, this is the message that you need to get. It's this. You can't do anything to make yourself right with God. I know mom and dad, they teach you to have the right behavior. But the right behavior, just mere reformation, we might, or reforming how you act, that doesn't change the inside. You need Jesus Christ in your hearts. You need God's Holy Spirit to come in and to cleanse your heart so that you won't do things right just because you want to make mom and dad happy, but God changes you inside your heart that you do things right because God has changed you. We're talking about regeneration. First and fourth graders, can you say the word regeneration? Yeah, your mom and dad can't. Okay? Regeneration, that's what we're talking about here. It's new birth. That's what it means. All right, so, so Paxton, regeneration, all first and fourth graders. Regeneration means new birth. Can you say that with me? Regeneration. Now, wait a minute. All first, first through fourth graders and everybody else, regeneration means what? All right. Now, what I want you to do, here's one of the tests I have for you. You should take notes on this, okay? I want you to go home, first and fourth graders, and later on this afternoon, I want you to go up to your mom and dad and say, what does regeneration mean? 
Okay? Can you do that? All right, I'm going to ask your mom and dad, so you better do it. Okay? Regeneration is a biblical word. Born again is a biblical word. Let's use it. You need to be regenerated. When we talk about regeneration, we're not talking about reformation. The Apostle Paul writes, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. I quote, the new birth is not an overhaul of an old wreck or a new paint job. It's not that. But it's, it's not, it's the old Adamic nature so incorrigibly corrupt that even God will not attempt to fix it up. He insists on completely rejecting the old hunk and he insists on making us a new man in Christ. It's not fixing up what you have. It's getting a new heart, a new life in Christ. That's what it means to be born again. My question to you today is, are you born again? Because you must be born again. If you're here today and what you call faith or being a Christian, it takes you back to what man, one man describes as the, the great liturgies of the church. And by the way, there are a lot of great liturgies. Or what you call faith or being a Christian takes you back to traditions or church attendance. Or, or when you think about faith, you think Baptist and Methodist and Presbyterian or Catholic. Or if those are the first thoughts that, that come to your mind, if, if most of your, your spiritual highs come from singing some great song in church or reciting a great creed or stained glass windows or, or things like that, if that's where your thoughts go, and they don't include, and not that those things are wrong, but they don't include that you've come to a place in your life where like, you realize that you're a sinner who cannot save themselves and has come to a place where you put your faith and trust in Christ, if you haven't had that in your life, you're not born again. And I'm doing you the best favor I could ever do to you right now is to tell you that. It's not about keeping things or doing stuff. It's about God bringing real spiritual life into you. Now let me throw some caution. Anytime I bring a message like this, there's always the sensitive soul. That's what I call them. Right? And I tell you why, because I've been one of those. There's that sensitive soul that's going to be saying, maybe I'm not born again. My, my purpose here in the, today is not to bring you doubts in your life, okay? It's not to cause you worry, all right? Some of you might not even, you're not even familiar with the term born again, but let me just put some ease. Born again is not the only term that the Bible uses for uh, the experience of salvation, Okay? So if you have truly in your, in your life, you've come to the realization that you're a sinner who cannot save themselves, and you have truly put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you're born again. So we'll see here in a moment. So everyone relax. That's a sensitive soul right now. But if you're honestly someone who has been trusting on their Christianity and their religiosity, I can't even say the word, then you need to think and you need to ask, am I born again? Now on the text goes here, 
Because the reality is, before we even enter this next part, the reality is, and I've heard it said, sometimes the hardest person to reach is not the non-religious depraved person. It's the religious depraved person. The hardest person to reach is not the secularist, but it's the religionist. It's not the crazy guy, it's the church guy. You need to be born again. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? In essence, how can this be? This is, this is contrary to everything that I've ever known, I've ever thought. How can this be? And Jesus gives him a little bit of an indictment here. He says, and Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher? Look at this. He says the teacher. He's giving him not just a teacher, but the teacher. So that points to the fact that, that, that Nicodemus is a, a, has a high level of position of teaching within the nation of Israel. He says, you are the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things. You see, the reality is that this phrase, born of water and of the spirit in verse five, was not unfamiliar to Nicodemus or it shouldn't have been. That is, when you look to the Old Testament, you find that the water and the spirit are often used together to symbolically refer to spiritual renewal and cleansing. Matter of fact, I think that as Nicodemus was talking to Jesus, that his mind certainly would have been turning and it would have gone to a very famous uh, prophetic message that came from Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27, where it says this, for I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. And I want you to notice something. Who's doing this work? There's five times, five phrases where it shows who's doing the work. And so look at the text there. It says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So who does the work? God. Do you see that? Five times he says, I will. Nicodemus should have been acquainted with this, but he wasn't. He was blinded by his own self-efforts, his own religious efforts. And the reality is what, what Christ is telling him is you should know this. My grace and the fact that God will do a work of new birth, it's in your prophets. It's right there. But Nicodemus, he utters, how can this be? It's contrary to everything he's done and knows. Jesus goes on to say, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen. And you do not accept our testimony if I told you earthly things and, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? In essence, he's saying, Nicodemus, until you get this very fundamental belief that you cannot save yourself. And that only God, it's God's work in you. That we can't, we don't have any more room to talk. That's why Jesus went right to the heart of the matter. Nicodemus wanted to come and talk about all kinds of things, spiritual and biblical 
And Jesus is saying, I can't share these things with you because until you get the fundamental truth that you need to be born again from above, you won't understand this. Jesus next knows to help him comprehend this more. He says, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the son of man, son of man being a, a messianic term that you see in Daniel chapter seven, verse 13. But it's a, a title that speaks of deity and humanity in this this relationship between that, that the son of man is this this one who is a kind of a go between from God, the father and earth. Jesus is pointing the fact that I'm him. Because look, look what he says here in verse 14. He wants, to, he wants to bring this home. He wants to help him understand this more. So Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. So what Jesus does is that he goes back to a picture in the Old Testament. And by the way, all those stories, all those sacrifices, all those things that happened in the Old Testament, guess who they point to? Guess who they point to? Thank you. I just want to make sure you're awake. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. So he takes them back to a picture that foreshadows the work of Christ and what Jesus is going to do for the world. He takes them back to this time in Israel's history when they were because of their 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 sin, their their the way their condition that they, they were they were judged with these serpents that came and bit them, and people were dying because of it. But God, because He's a God of grace and and wants to meet them in their place, He He erected this on this this the staff this this serpents that if the people came and, and if they came and they just looked in faith to this serpent, they would be healed. Not look and come and bring your sacrifices or, or look and come and be religious or anything like that. But if you will just come and you will look to this, the serpent that, that God has provided for you, you'll be healed from this snake bites. In essence, what Jesus is telling Nicodemus is that, hey, I'm that serpent. I'm the son of man. I'm the Messiah and I'm coming and I'm going to be that serpent for you. I'm going to take the the snake bite of sin for you. If you will just look to me in faith and belief, you too will be healed. That's the point that he's making. Come, believe in him. So that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. See, there's an important phrase in there, in him. Salvation is not in us. It's in Him. It's in Christ. Christ has done the work for us on that cross. He has taken the snake bite of sin and He's placed it on Himself. He's become a serpent of sin for us. He took the curse that you and I deserved on that cross for us. And if we will look but to faith that Christ accomplished the work in Him We will have eternal life. We will have entrance into the kingdom of God. You had to think. Here's Nicodemus. He's going through all this works and all this religiosity in in his his life. And all his life, he's been trying to work and trying to merit and earn some kind of favor with God. You had to be thinking, why, why why would God do this? 
And Jesus, knowing his heart, guess what he says? Perhaps one of the most famous verses that we ever see, that we see it at all the football games. It's at John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. Said Nicodemus, the reason that he did it is because God loves you. And my exhortation to you today is that God loves you and you and you. It's not because of anything that you've done. It's because of who he is, that he is a God of love. So that God so loved the world. This is the, the Greek sentence stresses the intensity of God's love. It's an intense love that he gave. Not that he required something for you, but that he gave a gift. His only begotten son, literally that means his unique and only one. That whosoever believes, get this, in him, there's a difference there. Not believes about him, but believes in him, has what? Well, he first he shall not perish, that he shall not receive final judgment, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that, that the world might be saved through him. In essence, he's saying, I have come because God loves you, Nicodemus. And he wants to give you something. He wants to give you real spiritual life. And the way that that is possible, the way that you can experience the born again experience is because what Christ has done for you. God couldn't overlook your sin. So he paid the price for you so that he could give you new spiritual birth. A new life through faith. As I think about this love, I think about the story of a distressed father who sat at the side of his, his son's bed who was comatose. The son had been playing, actually playing basketball. And at a crucial point in the game, the 16-year-old son, he, he made this uh, diving play and he, he hit something on the side. I believe it was the side that he, that he hit on the, on the chair and unbeknownst to them, that it, it actually this hit was so hard that it caused uh, damage to some vital organs. And not long after the game, he had to be taken to the hospital. And there was real question about, real uncertainty about whether they could save him. And so there was this, this father, as he's waiting there and he's, he's trembling with emotion, he started asking himself, will, will, will God kill my son to punish me? At that time, there was a pastor who had come, and he asked he asked the pastor that, "Will God kill my son to punish me?" And the pastor, in that moment, certainly by the grace of the God, he said, "No." He said, "The Lord's not punishing your son for your sin. He couldn't, because God punished his son for your sin." I like that. At the same time, as I think about that, I, I think of my son, Samuel. And, and I love you guys, but there's no way in this world do I think of punishing my son for you. Especially when I know you deserve it. Right? 
If you're having trouble grasping the, the love of God in your life, you think you need to think of your children. You need to think of giving up your son for a murderer. Or for some person that was a abuser. Or a thief, or whatever else we might call, or just a simple gossip. That's the immensity of God's love for us. So how do you believe how do you how do you experience this? How does one receive this new birth? Well, I think the reality is you know you have a new birth. If whom you're trusting in is the person of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about some intellectual affirmation that you believe that there's a there's a Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, go back to John chapter uh, two, verses twenty three, and I'm going to close with this. This is just right before Nicodemus, and he says in chapter verse twenty three. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name. Observing his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus on his part, get this. Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. In essence, what he's saying is there were some that were believing because of his signs. They believed, yeah, he's doing great things. They're following him. They like those things. But in essence, Jesus wasn't entrusting himself to them. That is, they believed about Jesus, but they didn't believe in Him, which which denotes dependence and a reliance upon. When I quote to you John 3.16, that if you believe, I'm not talking about some passive like, yeah, I love that verse, that's cool, alright? But I'm talking about in your life that you're putting complete reliance upon the work of Jesus Christ. Not one foot, you know, i got to be a real good person and do some religious things, but I'm saying you're putting both feet on Jesus Christ and His work alone. That your trust, that your belief, that your faith, that it rests there and there alone for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the belief we're talking about. It's not just some affirmation or intellectual acknowledgement. It's a reliance upon. It's a trust. And if you have that, you're born again. Matter of fact, I sometimes wonder. I've had this thought many times. I go out and I say, why do I believe this? Why do I believe this, but this person doesn't? And they're a smart, intellectual person. Or why does this person not believe it, but I do? Why me? And all I go back is it's been the work of God in my life. Why do I, I even sometimes go, why do I still believe? I mean, I've, I've tried to doubt my faith. And I've done it. But I still believe. And all I can say is just because God has done a work in me. That I have been born again by not anything I've done, but completely by the work of Jesus Christ. Oh, what love God has for us, believer. May you not depend on any religiosity in your life. 
May this day, if you've never truly put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that this is the day that to your very soul, that you're convicted by your sin and reliance upon yourself, that you will turn to that and that you'll look to Jesus Christ and put your faith and belief in Christ and Christ alone. Because you must be born again. Dear God, we come. And we thank you and we praise you for your word. Lord, what an awesome message. What a loving Savior to come. To be right face to face with Nicodemus. That he wouldn't just spend time chatting about theology and philosophy. But that he loved Nicodemus enough to take this very highly respected man and tell him the truth that he was lost on the way to hell. And to tell him about the work of the Spirit of being born again. To tell about how that new birth was provided in the work of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. And that that could be his, not by any religious merit, but by simple faith. Lord, my prayer today is that those here who are believers... By, by the evidence of the new birth in their life, Lord, that you might just reassure them of their faith in you and being born again. That you might be reassure them by the very fact that they do have faith and belief in Jesus Christ's person and work. It's an evidence of regeneration in their lives. The Lord, my prayer is also for those here today who maybe... Just this morning, they realized that what they've been trusting in all their lives was religion. Doing good things. And my prayer for them, Lord, is that they won't go away being completely offended by it. Because, Lord, I know there is some offense when the gospel is preached. But in the midst of that offense, they will humble themselves. They will turn to Jesus Christ. They will ask for forgiveness and put their faith in Christ and Christ alone. And Lord, by that, may you be glorified. Lord, we thank you for your love, your great, immense love for which you have loved us. And Lord, we even want to take some time to actually sing of that love, Lord. We want to praise you. And so, Lord... In this time as we close this service out, Lord, we want to give back to you, not because we owe you anything for our salvation, but because you've already paid it all for us. We want to worship you and we want to praise you, Lord. Lord, we give you thanks and we give you glory. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.